Father, we come here this morning to worship you and to praise you. And Father, as we think about last week, we think about the ways that you provided for us, how you helped us through difficult circumstances, how you gave us peace in the midst of trials. We thank you for sending your son to die on a cross to pay for our sins. Thank you for us that trust in you. We're saved and we're redeemed. Now, Father, I pray that this portion of the worship service would glorify you and would give you praise and honor and glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, join me in 1 Timothy. This is going to be one of my favorites, the fight. Actually, it's a, quite a good, the way I've outlined it. But So we've looked at salvation in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The next week, we looked at Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. Pray for inner strength so that Christ may be at home in our hearts. The next week we looked at faith growing. Faith is never to be idle. It is to be growing, it is to be active. Second Peter 1, 5 through 8, we add the virtues, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly love, and love. And last week we looked at trials from the epistle of James, that we can face trials with joy and that's how we should handle them, and oftentimes we do not. And we talked about that last week. Today I want to uh, talk about another very uh, important connection with the faith, and that is fighting. Now, it's not often that pastors would recommend fighting, but um, I don't know if you all know this guy. This is Rocky Marciano. And he was the heavyweight champion. Of course, today he's dwarfed by bigger fighters. Uh, but from 1952 to 1956, he was the undefeated champion of the world. He actually started his boxing career during World War II and then transitioned into uh, professional boxing. He remains today the only undefeated champion. In other words, when he became champion, he never lost. No other boxer in history can claim that. One thing drove him, and I'm going to put his quote up here. I don't want to be remembered as a beaten champion, Rocky Marciano. His record was 49-0, and 43 by uh, t knockout or technical knockout. So as we think about this text today, it definitely deals with fighting. It might surprise us that Paul would talk about some type of uh, brutal sport, but he does here. And it's a good reminder for us, Ephesians 6:12, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against authorities, and cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So in light of this, uh, and you look at these verses here, look at some of the words that pop out as we read. Flee, pursue, fight, take hold. 
these are action words. These, uh, not something that is stagnant. These are words that uh, produce action. And so the Apostle Paul here, written to his son in the faith, Timothy, uh, he'll write two letters to Timothy. Um, but he starts, th this little section here is quite powerful. So what we want to look at today is, first of all, live the right way. And he mentions here, flee. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Uh, this old man of God statement is quite profound. Uh, Timothy is young, and when we say young, he wasn't in his teens. He was more like in his 30s or late 20s, depending on how you read it. But he calls Timothy old man of God. And that's a big designation. That is a big moment for Timothy. That is a moment where Paul is equating him with something great. And it's quite an, uh, it's, uh, quite of an honor to be called that. Uh, let me give you a, a, a brief Old Testament here. First of all, Moses was called a man of God. Moses was the leader of the nation of Israel when they came out of uh, bondage. And, of course, Moses never really got to see the promised land. A second person was King David. King David was called a man of God. So you start getting the idea here that Paul has immense confidence in Timothy. And Timothy is encountering a lot of pushback because he is, uh, in a sense, a young pastor. Uh, also, the prophets, 1 Samuel 9, 6, talks about the prophets being called man of God. Uh, Elijah was also called the man of God. And then you have angels that were called the men of God. So when he says, when he says, but you, old man of God, that is, and we just read it and we, we, we look at it and we think, well, there can't be much connection there. There is. He's telling Timothy, you have a heritage. You have a heritage that you are now following and that I trust you to take care of what is lacking in Ephesus and to work with those leaders to get it straightened out. It is a huge compliment. You know what? All of us here in this room, myself included, all of us have a heritage. Our heritage is rooted in those who have gone before us. I know I've probably shared this, but over, um, I don't know, Holly's not here. I think it's my great-great-grandfather was a circuit rider, preacher, here in the area. He's buried over in Villa Grove. I had no idea. There's not many Frasers over here. But he was one. He actually preached in Tolono. I found that out, and I was like, whoa. And so I had my picture taken at the grave. I still have it. But we have a heritage. You have a heritage. And that heritage is important. Because you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you belong to the line of all of those who went before and all of those who will come after. And so when he says, but you, O man of God, he's talking about this massive heritage and Timothy was going to stand fast and fight for that heritage. Uh, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. We have to understand something, that this world in which we live today is a mess. It is a mess. And we have the solution to the mess. The solution is not a political upheaval. The solution is the darkness of the human heart. People need to know Jesus. If you want to change a culture, you share the good news of the gospel. That's how change comes. Politicals will here and there and they'll rise and they'll fall. Political upheaval works for a short time. But if Jesus can get in the heart, it can radically change. Now he says here, um, and I want to pull this up. He says here, to flee, but flee these things. What is he talking about? Well, no verse of scripture lives in isolation. It is connected. And this is what Paul told Timothy right before this. Of course, there's false teachers in the church. They're, they're pressing. Timothy's the man of God that's going to stand firm against this. He's going to push back against it. But then Paul writes this. But if you have food and clothing with these things, be content. How many of you have food and clothing today? Be content. Obviously, this was written to a pastor, but... It can also apply on a secondary level to us. But if we have food and clothing, with these things, be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harm, harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Back in 1929, I think that's right, October 1929 was uh, the stock market collapse, which ultimately led, there was a run on the banks, the stock market collapsed, and then guess what was ushered in? The Great Depression. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money's evil. It's saying the love of money. And so what the warning here is for Timothy is, look, you're not about making money. And he's also, before this, talked about people who preach the gospel, who are trying to influence the church, and some people are just trying to make a buck at any cost. He says, it is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So Timothy, who is a man of God, is now told to flee these things. Look, life is not about money. I know money's important. But sitting on a computer 24 hours a day trying to find the best stock and how you're going to get rich quick, there's better ways to spend our time. I, I, I happen to believe that God will take care of us. And so we've got to be careful with that. But he tells him, I want you to flee these things and then I want you to pursue other things. And so we have a list here. <clears throat> pursue righteousness. That sounds like a list we've been doing. A lot of these lists. Uh, 
pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, which is connected to all of this, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Uh, dioko is the word for pursue. It is an active imperative verb. And basically what it means is that we continue to do something and we don't stop. That's what that word pursue means. It means to continue. You think about a runner who is running a marathon. You only cross the finish line if you keep going. It doesn't matter when you finish, but as long as you finish, you keep going. And he's telling Timothy, look, you're a, you're a man of God. And I want you to flee what these other people are doing. Don't get caught up into it. And it's easy for us as believers to get caught up into managing your wealth. And, uh, and, and it just leads us down a bad path. And Paul tells Timothy to stand fast. Do not get caught into it. Now, I went through and it took some time. And I am indebted to some other scholars, uh, Kenneth Woost and some others. But... Um, these, there's one, two, three, four, five, six of them. There's six of them, and they're actually relational when you go through and you look at these words in the Greek language. So here we have a chart, if you will. You have righteousness, love, gentleness. That's in our relations to others. Here you have our relation to God, godliness, faith, steadfastness. Now, as we go through these, you'll see that they fall in two camps. First of all is the word righteousness. That word literally means to have a right conduct with others. That's not so much in our relationship with God. That means that we treat one another with respect, that we do right by each other, that we honor others above ourselves, that we don't talk them down, but we build them up. And it really focuses on the right way of relating to one another, the right way to relate to one another. It's the right conduct. And then we have godliness, which is on God's side of the equation. And that literally means being fully consecrated to God. In a sense, living a life of purity. Be holy for I am holy. That's still part of it. And, and let me just say this. None of, us, none of us are to the place where the only time we're going to be fully complete is when we see Jesus face to face. But that doesn't mean that we don't aim to be pure in our lives. And of course, purity can sometimes... Uh, not be manifested in how we deal with one another. But ultimately, God says, look, I saved you. I want you to live for me. If there was ever a day in which the church needs to live for Christ, it's today. It is today. There's people outside this church this morning that need to know Jesus. We have Jesus. We can share Jesus. And so this part becomes fully consecrated to God that we'll do whatever God tells us to do and we will do nothing less than what God tells us to do. The next word there is love. We saw this word two weeks ago. It's a love feast. You remember we talked about the fellowship meal? This is in loving one another. Jesus said, 
and I'm going to quote from John uh, 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So not only on our side of the fence, is, Tim, is Paul telling Timothy, on our side of the fence, as, as a pastor you have to do this, but also as us, we have to do this. That we are to relate to one another honestly, joyfully, humbly, I think, but also love each other. One of the key characteristics of this church that is so obvious is that we love each other. It is a wonderful feeling as a pastor to walk into a church knowing that people love you. You know the feeling. I've heard, heard it from visitors. Your church is so friendly. Please never lose that. We have love for one another. And then uh, faith, that should probably go without saying, but he mentions it. Complete trust in God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can't have salvation without faith. So we have righteousness, we have love, we have godliness, we have faith towards God, and then gentleness. And this means gentleness in attitude and behavior towards one another. It's easy to lose sight of the fact. You know what? When we think about this, think about the fact that you and I are under grace. Y'all know that? You're under grace. God gives us what we do not deserve. That's why Christ came. Because none of us could get there. But Jesus came. And so when we deal with others, I think if you're mad at somebody, you kind of step back and you take a few minutes and then you engage in good conversation, you don't yell, you don't scream, show a little uh, a gentleness when you're, and it could be with anybody actually, outside the church, and I would say particularly uh, with the outsiders, you don't want to let them see anger because it can detract from the gospel message. Gentleness. And then, of course, the last one is steadfastness. That is, Timothy and all of us, I want you to remain with endurance. I want you to endure these hardships. How many of you think we live in a friendly world towards the gospel? No. The world is hostile. It does not like us. What I do on Sunday morning is dumb. You coming here to worship service is dumb because God doesn't exist and you Christians are nuts. Now that's really what the world thinks about us. And we live in this environment. And yet we are the ones that are in the world and we should be showing the world what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what he's telling Timothy. In your fighting, in your fighting, when you stand up to these people, there's some principles that need to govern your life. You could use these principles, right? There's many of them. There's many of them in the New Testament. But you could take just this simple list and apply it to your daily life, and you would be living for Christ. 
it is difficult at times. I get that. <clears throat> it is difficult, and I do understand that. But we have to be careful the way we live, particularly in the world in which we live. And ultimately, ultimately, we do have to realize that it's not people. It's what's behind the people. Satan is at work. And we are going to have to fight for the gospel. I'm getting ready to get into that. But any, anyway, remember this. Do nothing now of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. You think we can do that? Can we consider... It's either my way or the highway. Let's, let's not do that. I think considering others better than yourselves really is one of the earmarks of humility. Remember, God does not like prideful people. He likes humble people. And so we live like that. That's how we do it. That's how we're to roll in our Christian walk. Now to my favorite part of the sermon. I shouldn't say that. They're all favorite, but I like this part. Because now we get down. He's just said this. I want you to pursue, oh, Timothy, old man of God, flee what these people are doing, but I want you to pursue this, and then I want you to fight for the faith. I want you to fight for the faith. Agonizomai. Agonizomai is the word for fight. Reading just from the Greek language. To engage in intense struggle involving physical or non-physical force against strong opposition. Let me read that again. Agonizomai. To engage in intense struggle not half-hearted involving physical or non-physical force against strong opposition. It means to struggle and to fight, ultimately. Now the word good, I love doing word studies because it's just awesome. This word good, kalos, kalos has six different meanings, and I just wanna kinda, I wanna kinda go through a couple of them here. Um, the first one is good. It can mean moral character. And then this is how pastors and people arrive at the literal meaning. I think take hold of eternal life kind of quantifies what he's driving at here when you look at Kalos. Can mean good of moral courage or moral character. Advantageous, meaning providing superior benefit. It can mean beautiful or attractive. I probably used to be back in the day when I had hair. It can mean good, a second meaning of good or fine value. And then I think we get to the last two, and I think this is probably closer to what it is. Fitting, good and proper. So if that's the, if that's the case, then fighting is good and proper. 
I think ultimately it means this. It means important. Pertaining to having a high status. So after telling him, <laughs> think about this, love, steadfastness, faith, godliness, he's telling Timothy, but in the midst of this, I still want you to fight. It should take a high status in the way that you live your life. Now this word fight, fight, the first word was agonizomai. This word is agon, agon. Agonizomai, agon. Fight, fight. That also means intense struggle. You might know this. October 1st, 1975, the Thrilla in Manila. I did some research on this fight. It's actually one of the top five fights, at least what the professionals say, that ever took place. The temperature inside the arena or inside the boxing ring was 120 degrees. Muhammad Ali said after the fight that he felt like he was going to die. It was scheduled for 15 rounds. Joe Frazier could not answer the bell in the 14th round, and so Joe Frazier's corner threw the towel in. He, had, he couldn't see out of his eye, and of course, that's bad news for a boxer. So you say, Pastor, that's not really in the text. Yes, it is. It is very much in the text. The Apostle Paul's talking about combat. He's talking about fighting. And you know, when I was a kid, I was always pulling for Joe Frazier. Probably because my name was, last name was Frazier. And interesting, uh, Joe Frazier actually beat Ali, but then wound up losing this fight. They were both in their 30s. Both really great boxers. Probably Ali was better than Frazier. And you have all this stuff going on. But um, the reason people didn't like Ali at this fight was because he didn't register for the draft. He refused it. So everybody was pulling, a lot of people were pulling for Joe Frazier. And it's gone down as one of the greatest fights in the history of boxing, at least one of the greatest. I know there's others. Kenneth Woost in his uh, Greek New Testament wrote this. This is very hard to take. The verb means to contend in an athletic game for a prize to fight. When we find that the gloves, and Timothy's father was Greek, uh, of the gloves of the Greek boxers were fur-lined, made on the outside with oxide, with lead and iron sewed into the glove. And that the loser in the boxing match had his eyes gouged out. He goes on to say, we have a greater appreciation for what Paul was talking about. Brothers and sisters, we're in a war. Now, we don't physically hit anybody. But we have to push back against a culture that is slowly making its way into the church. We have to push back against that. We have to fight for the faith. We can do that lovingly, but there's some point in as a church and as Christians, we have to say no. We have to fight. 
This is the faith in which we have. The world doesn't like it. And Paul tells Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. I want you to hang in there, and I want you to throw spiritual punches at your godless opponent. And sometimes we wind up with a black eye because we don't stand for the gospel. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy. You have to stand, you have to fight, but be mindful of the fact that you're to love God, you're to be steadfast, you're to be pure, you're to treat others the way that you want to be treated. But at some point, at some point, there has to be a line drawn in the sand where when they cross that, you say, no, we do not allow it. A lot of things happening, making its way into the church. Not our church, but churches. The stuff... My goodness, going back to 1988, when I preached my first sermon. Do you know how much the world has changed since 1988? Some of the stuff that I hear from the pulpits, it's staggering. Now, what we're to fight for is that we are to fight to take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Epilambanomai. Epilambanomai. That means to grasp and to hold on with dear life. The gospel can never be compromised. People have to acknowledge that they're sinners. And they have to believe that Christ came to pay for their sin. We can never strike sin from the vocabulary because Christ came because of a sin problem. To hold on tight, to grip, to not let go. And this eternal life, what we're talking about here is the gospel. He's telling Timothy, I want you to fight hard for the gospel push back on those who pervert the gospel this is not about how good you are or how good i am it's about how great jesus was and we have to fight 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 to maintain the purity of the gospel none of us in this room can ever get to heaven on our own merit none none only jesus jesus and him on the cross paying for my sin and for yours. And he said, Timothy, hold on. Don't let them change the gospel. Don't let them pervert the word of God. You keep fighting. At some point, the church has to say, no more. No more. We have to stand up. And I think uh, it's, it's often... Eternal life... Do you, that means life without end because of what Christ did. We want to fight for that. We want to tell people, look, you don't... If you're not saved, you're not one of us. And I guess to tell you this, sometimes it may cost you friends. It may cost you a job. It may cost you family. By saying, look, you know what? You're not saved and I want you to be saved so that you can experience eternal life 
like we have. I love the image here of fighting. And please, don't go out of here today and Pastor Mike said I can punch somebody in the nose. Uh, that's not what I'm saying. The, the, the implication of the Greek games and the boxing is prevalent in the text, but I am not telling you to go out and be violent. I'm telling you to go out and share the gospel and stand firm in the faith. We do not get to heaven based on our own good works. We can't do it. We need Christ. And it's by placing our faith in Christ that we get eternal life. Now, the last thing is confession. About which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So, Confession is homologia, homologia, and it means to express one's allegiance. So Timothy did this in front of an witnesses. It wasn't just Timothy doing this on his own without witnesses. I had a lady in my first full-time church. I visited her, and I talked to her, and I, I was young, younger. Um, I was talking to her about, you know, being part of the evangelism team, and she says, oh, I don't share. I don't share the gospel. I said, what? No, no, my faith is private. I don't share it. I wasn't rude to her. I did say, you do know that when the opportunity comes for you to share the gospel, you should share it. Timothy is saying, I made a confession in front of people. Billy Graham used to say, uh, why do I call people publicly? I call them because Jesus called people publicly. Who is your allegiance to this morning? Ultimately. I know we have some allegiances to the government and we have allegiance to our family, but who is the ultimate allegiance in your life? Your allegiance and my allegiance is to Jesus Christ. At the cost of government, at the cost sometimes of losing family members, at the cost of losing friends, our allegiance ultimately should be Jesus Christ. Love this picture. People coming forward to the altar praying. Uh, one of the things when people want to join this church, I ask them to come forward publicly. And so they stand up here with me, and I say they've come to join our church. Timothy made this confession. He said, look, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I will follow him, and I will fight for him, and I will love him at the cost of everything. I don't know, you may have a family member that 
needs Jesus and it's kind of created an issue in your family, let me just say this. Do you know the best way to handle that is with prayer? Pray for the lost family member. Pray for the lost friend. Try to love them to Jesus. Calling them names, not treating them with respect is not going to end well. And he says here, homo legia, my allegiance is to Christ. Almost named the sermon, my allegiance to Christ, but the obvious one is fight the fight. In closing, as believers, we are called to a higher standard in our relationships with one another and in our relationship with God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. That is, we love others, we treat them right, we love God, we stay steadfast in our faith. We have to stand firm as we struggle against a world that desperately needs to know Christ.